My goal is how can we make wheat or grains more attractive to a producer to produce it? And to me, the answer is local mills, local bakers supporting more what California has. This is the Sourdough Podcast, the show about the innovators, leaders, and creative trailblazers in our sourdough community and the stories behind the bread. On this episode of the Sourdough Podcast, I share my conversation with Claudia Carter, the Executive Director of the California Wheat Commission. She describes the CWC's mission to support California wheat producers, as well as some of her favorite California-grown wheat varieties. We talk about the unique challenges and advantages facing California wheat growers and how growing wheat in California can lead to more sustainable and regenerative farming practices. I wanted to give a quick shout out to my two most recent contributors to the podcast, Susan Zachos and Jill Hayes. Thank you so much for your generous donations and thank you for helping make the Sourdough Podcast possible. Your support is greatly appreciated. Don't forget to check out the Sourdough Podcast website shop where you can find the Sourdough Podcast t-shirt and the one-of-a-kind Sourdough Podcast UFO LOM handcrafted by Tyler at the Wire Monkey Shop. This season of the podcast, each of my guests will be receiving one of these beautiful walnut LOMs emblazoned with the Sourdough Podcast logo. And now you too can score with style and help support the podcast at the same time. So be sure to head on over to thesourdoughpodcast.com to shop, find other baking resources like books, recipes, and links to useful products. And of course, don't forget to check out the last two seasons of episodes featuring people from all around our sourdough community. And one last plug, Tyler at the Wire Monkey Shop has started a fund to help support bakers in need. Money donated will go to bread bakers who are in financial duress due to the coronavirus using Instagram as an outreach platform. With your generous support through your UFO lawn purchases, the Sourdough Podcast was able to contribute $240 to this fund. So please consider helping out if you can. You can find more information at Tyler's Instagram account, Wire Monkey Shop. Don't forget to stick around after the episode for more music from Weston Perry. You can find more of his music and videos on his Instagram account at Weston Perry Music or for purchase wherever you download music. And now, here's my conversation with Claudia Carter of the California Wheat Commission. Well, thank you so much for uh, sending me this uh selection of, of wheats. I'm really excited to, to use it and, and just kind of experiment and kind of get a feel for the different. I feel like it's like kind of like a coffee or chocolate. I'm just trying to like, oh, wow, these are like different, uh, different backgrounds, different varieties, and just kind of educate myself and share what I learned with, uh, with everybody else. So yeah, I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, uh, do you have your own mill? Did you say that, like a milk mill, or what? Do you I have a Como Bio mill. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I've been using that, and and that I was I've been telling. Uh, I just told somebody last night in an in interview. You know, that was probably the biggest difference I've uh, noticed in my bread was uh, fresh milling uh, whole grains. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited to. And how fine it. can you mill it to? Is it like more? Um, uh pretty fine yeah it's it's for flowers you know wheat flowers and 
I have it on the one of the finest settings. Um, so yeah, it, it works great for me for my purposes. Perfect. It will yeah. be very interesting for you to also um, when you are milling it, since you have grind some other grains. To uh, you know, I always think that when you listen to the mill, the mill is working harder sometimes when mm -hmm. the grain is actually harder. So it will be I will be curious to get your feedback on you know, how fast or even the heat that is producing because these okay. wheats are very hard wheats uh, mm -hmm. by nature. So it'll be kind of interesting to, to hear your feedback on that. Okay. Yeah, that'd be something to, to listen for, I guess. I, I probably wasn't listening for before. Um, but yeah, yeah, all these, just all these different ways to measure, you know, uh, differences in the wheat. So. Um, so you wanted to talk about the Amarillo, huh? Yeah, so to give you a background, um, well, first of all, you know that the California Wheat Commission is funded by wheat producers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's, I think that's a good maybe intro. Um, I get it. I'm kind of going into podcast mode here. <laughs> no problem. But um, yeah, I'm, yeah, give me a quick, quick overview of like what you guys do at the Wheat Commission. Yeah, so, you know, we're one of the Wheat Commissions, uh, one of the 17 Wheat Commissions in the United States. Okay. And each state that has a Wheat Commission are funded by the wheat producers from that state. So the same here, California, wheat producers pay uh, a fee, it's called an assessment fee, and based on their production, and currently we have it at $1.50 per ton, of grain that they sell to uh, mainly their grain elevators, right? So uh, the grain elevators uh, submits the payment to us at the commission, and then we collect those funds. And then we have a board, uh, a board of directors that decides based on our uh, mission, which is to, to support research, market development, outreach, and education. Then they decide in which activities they want to allocate those funds for. So one of the things that I um, sometimes people tell me is like, oh, I thought it was a tax money. It is like, no, uh, it's uh, all paid by growers. Uh, it's their, their thing and it's for them. Um, and that's how I got to be more involved and learn from a grower's perspective. But mm -hmm. also I became a much more... Um, of an advocate to speak on their behalf. Um, and then, you know, California is not a large wheat producer. And yeah. that also takes a lot of people by surprise that we actually produce grains. Yeah. Uh -huh. And we do, um, we do. And we have been, if you read history and, and yeah. I'm, I'm sure you have done a lot of reading on what, what California has to be, um, you know, what part of California uh, takes in in being part of that grain history in the U.S., yeah. we are pretty significant, right? So we were the first ones to export grains from the U.S. that went to the U to U.K., that went, you know, through the Cape Town all the way down, you know, to Chile, all the way to U.K., and grain was traded from California as it was like gold. Wow. They used to appreciate it so, mo so much, like, like it was gold because they used to pay a premium. Again, you can read books and, and historical papers that says that used to get out of San Francisco. And um, yeah, so I think we, we need to bring that information back to people from here that grains is part mm. of us, mm -hmm. period. Now, we don't produce enough, but grains as it's a very important part of the rotation of the producer. And that's yeah, the reason yeah. why we're, we're so relevant. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's something I've... I, 
well, just talking to the history part of it, you know, growing up in Patterson, California, uh, which is Central Valley, kind of up against the foothills, you know, looking at kind of some of our history before irrigation, it was all wheat. And so I just see all these amazing pictures of, uh, you know, you know, head high wheat crops. Um, and that was kind of like what drew, you know, farmers from, you know, uh, the Midwest, like Minnesota and in the East Coast out to the West Coast or out to Patterson originally to buy tracts of land to grow uh, dry, dry cropping. Um, and then after, I don't know what, maybe it was the 30s or 40s when they started installing the, the aqueducts and the irrigation. And now it's all, you know, uh, fruit trees and, and uh, stone fruit and stuff like that primarily these days. Uh, but yeah, and that, that was something I had talked with one of my neighbors who I'm trying to encourage to grow some wheat. Uh, he's a almond farmer, potato farmer. And he said, well, you know, we, I already grow rye, like, you know, um, for fallow seasons, you know, right. and, and uh, for mostly for uh, livestock feed. Um, and so he was kind of exploring and I tried to connect him with some people I know um, and on just kind of, uh, researching ways to do that, you know, grow, if I'm already growing rye, you know, how, how much more complicated would it be to grow uh, a wheat, wheat, you know, that a farmer could use or a, an artisan baker could use. So yeah, yeah it, it's really interesting. Uh, and it's, that's so cool that, you know, where a lot of people, like you said, maybe in California, don't even know that we have a, a wheat history here. Yeah. Yeah. And then so the, the other thing that it's uh, a very interesting fact that many people don't know and I like to share is that um, we can produce pretty much any type of grain and any time, type of wheat because of our climate. So you have the northern side that is more wet. It's more dry land. And then you have the Central Valley, which is dry, yeah. but they have the irrigation and some of them get to be dry land. And then you have the southern part, which is all desert. Uh, very much desert, and they can grow uh, a beautiful durum wheat. So it really, it's it's a diverse um, mm. state that that adds the diversity of our grains as well. Mm -hmm. But with that being said, um, I often think that we are underappreciated and or underutilized mm. because there hasn't been many champions out there, such as I would say Nan Kohler is one of them that is championed mm -hmm. in bringing that diversity um, or, uh, you know, to a customer. And the same with, you know, David Kaiser from Cappy Mills. Uh, there are very few people who have thought in investing their time and their money mm -hmm. in something that it's right here in California. Because, mm -hmm. you know, we are the largest milling state by capacity. So there are more mills in California than any other state. Wow. That means that we have all the large mills that you can think of are the mills. You know, you have your, um, your general mills, your ADM. All of them are here yet yeah. because they are milling tons and tons of wheat. They cannot, uh, we cannot satisfy that demand. So they bring in from outside, mm -hmm. from other states to satisfy that demand. So yeah, we're yeah. a very small part of that equation and what it goes into those mills. Mm -hmm. what, um, how many growers are you? do you represent in California? So we do a variety survey every year and we send it to about uh, 3,000 entities. Mm -hmm. um, so, and, and the producer size are all different. Some of them actually rent out the land from somebody else to farm, so they report that. But it's about three thousand entities that we we get, um, and that that that's who are like paying the dollar fifty per ton 
to the commission? Um, so that's the number of growers who we have in our database, but who the, the, the number of growers who grow today wheat, it's very limited. I mean, I would think it's less than a thousand growers who grow wheat in California. Okay, um, wow. ten, 10 years ago, we used to grow wheat in about a million acres, whereas today um, we are only producing uh, planting grains in our wheat specifically in uh, 300 300,000 acres so and the other kind of very impact impactful i think number to know is that out of those 300 acres um, in the last five years about 70 to 80 percent is harvested for feed mm, and only wow. what we we harvest for for human consumption is a 20 or 30 percent especially wow. so Central Valley, 75% of the crop, wheat crop, is produced in, in your, the area you're at. Oh, wow. But I would say only 10 to 15 to 20 max percent is harvested for human consumption. Oh, okay. For, yeah. For what's grown there. Yeah, and so that, that would be like what my, my neighbor farmer uh, mentioned. Exactly. Um, yeah, what, so that's typical. Mm -hmm. What do you think is like the biggest inhibitor? Is it just like price per acre or like you know uh profit per acre when it comes down to like growing almonds or or walnuts or something versus wheat is it yeah, strictly numbers or yeah i will say the producer who decided to convert their land to a permanent crop such as almonds or pistachios for example it's all about um uh, you know the profit right that at the end it the, the value of that land is probably mm -hmm. really high mm -hmm. and they're trying to uh, maximize their profit right so i would say that's one of the biggest things that because of that we're seeing more trees coming down are mm -hmm. being planted but the second thing of the producer who we do have producers that can and have been growing grains for many years their biggest challenge is that the commodity pricing right now and has been for the last um five years it's it's very low so mm. they cannot make a profit in fact they lose money growing weed in california that what they are making money and most of the time they are going to be making more money uh selling that for the feed market and uh -huh. just adding another crop right away so they would chop it up as green as a grass they will feed to the cows and then they can then add a new crop which in this case might be corn so then they can get a profit of not only the grain the forage but also on the corn that they're planting so it's all about economics that comes down to it so my goal is how can we make wheat or grains more attractive to a producer to produce it and to me the answer is local mills local bakers supporting more what california has yeah. mm -hmm. and make and keep them alive keep them you know afloat and they want to do it i mean my producers people who i talk to and they often the the answer i get from my farm is like well are they going to pay me for like for what i grow you yeah. know am i going to get paid for that um you will hear that often from the producers mm -hmm. and that's it's something i've been so inspired by and i've seen with some of my guests like uh don guerra and in, in arizona um you know he, he has kind of developed been part of that uh growing of their local grain economy and working with millers like hayden flour mills and and just kind of you know resurrecting that old uh wheat culture that that has been in Arizona, you know, for a hundred plus years, um, and, and doing just what you said, like kind of, you know, local mills, local growers, local bakers, and um, and uh, so yeah, it's I, it's popping up here and there. I would 
I would love to be part of that growth in California or help support that growth. And um, I guess, yeah. So, I mean, I could, I could ask you questions all day, but um, tell me about this, this Amarillo you sent yeah. me. So um, that sample is actually very unique because, um, so as I told you, we, we have all our research happening at UC Davis. So by conventional breeding, our, our weed breeder, who is the one who develops varieties that has, you know, resistance in a disease that might compromise a crop, right? So they, um, he also has been uh, breeding varieties for some sort of added value, right? Something that, something different. Um, so he studies the weed and it's one of, you know, I would say the, the best weed breeder in the world. And one of the things that he told me about, you know, and, and this is something that we all know in history, like that weed um, was yellow. So like mm -hmm. einkorn, like durum, like the ancient weeds. So what breeders have been good at or any uh, people who is, you know, doing something to modify you know, a crop for something different is that they have come with like a hammer and broken down the genetic background of it and make, made it into something different. Well, what happened was that, you know, back in the day, people thought and say the wider, the better. Mm. When you have something that is wide, it's like mm -hmm. a, a significance of power and uh, impurity, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what happened with weed. Weed, um, traditionally it was yellow hmm. the gene is there a historically gene so what yeah. he say all what i had to do is reverse what we did and put it back where it's supposed to be wow. so that weed is called amarillo is because it it is yellow mm -hmm. so if you make so it's a hard white wheat such as you know another hard white wheat however it was regenerate regenerate rated yeah into having that uh yellow gene so you will notice when you make the flower that it's going to look very very creamy yeah. because of that so that's the and then with that also it has high carotenoid pigments right which is good for you which for, good for your eyes it's highly nutritious that's the point but not only that that variety it's outstanding i mean i'm just giving you here a um, a heads up, but it's an <laughs> outstanding quality variety. It has such a strong gluten just because the genetics, what it has mm. that for a whole grain, hundred percent whole grain bread. Um, I, I mean, I want to know what you think, but what we have seen in the lab, it's, it's a very beautiful wheat. High protein percentage. Uh, it tends to be, yeah, it tends to be about 12 to 13% protein okay. and I can send you those values, but, um, but it just has a good quality protein. Yeah, it kind of reminds me like the color, like of uh, the Corazon wheat, like the yep. ancient varieties. I'm, exactly. Like, similar color. And uh, it also reminds me again of Don Guerra. Uh, he always talked about how he likes to use the wheats from his state because it's kind of like a palette, a paint palette, you know, and have all these different uh, ways to express, your, you know, uh, bread and all these different colors and it's kind of like a painting and it's just a beautiful way to think of of red and, and using all these different color palettes and so yeah and all of those uh weeks that you sent me they again just what there's like the spectrum of of color and uh so but what, what originally got us talking was um central red the central red yeah and, and yeah is that one you said uh also originated from the valley 
Um, so Centro Red was another variety that recently uh, you see released as being a high, you know, a higher protein, high quality bread baking variety. And, um, and that one is actually uh, comes from a parent called Espresso, which was a variety that was grown in California for many, many years. Mm. So it's just one when we try or he tries to develop new varieties such as Centro Red, what he's trying to do is make it more resilient yeah. to growing, right? And also something that is better for, for us. Um, so that variety is just brand new. It hasn't been planted much because it just got released last year, I believe. Mm. The same with Amarillo. Amarillo, that one actually hasn't been grown yet um, because it's still going through the whole process of um, the, the UC process of uh, developing and getting it out. Are these but, all... Are these all trademarked kind of like, um, what is, what's that brand of, uh, cores and wheat? Uh, oh, like Kamut? Kamut, yeah. Is it, yeah. are these trademarked? No. no, okay. No. So how it works is that UC Davis releases it and then somebody uh, buys what they call foundation seed. So your seed uh, company, let's say Penny Newman or Western Mellon, who are uh, Penny Newman's in Fresno, they buy the seed from UC and then they sell the seed to the grower and the grower buys it and then produces it. But then it can go to any grower, it can go to mm -hmm. any baker, any mill. There's nobody who owns that except that it's in a way, if you want to call it own, but it's being released by UC Davis. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So it's not, it doesn't have any patent. Got it. So, I mean, just, I mean, in theoretically, I could go grow this in my, my field behind my house or something. And yeah, there's no trademark infringement or anything like that. Or so that the, the UC varieties, the Amarillo, um, and then the, um, the, there is one that I send you that has a UC in it. I use mm -hmm. the number. Mm -hmm. So those two are not released yet. So those, you won't be able to grow it as what you're talking about describing yet, but you could um, yourself grow the other ones that you have there. No problem. Oh, I'm not that but, I'm going to, I'm just curious right. about how the, yeah, that right. trademarking. Of no, that's a good yeah. question. Yeah. But those other two, Amarillo and the UC, no, no yet. The other ones, yes. Yeah. And let's say you, um, a producer wants to grow it. They can grow it. They can, you know, uh, sell the, the grain to a mill. What they cannot do though, usually is sell the grain to another grower. So okay. they, can, okay. they can regrow it, regrow it, regrow it. It's totally fine. They can mm -hmm. not just send it to a grower and say, here, I'm selling it to you. Mm -hmm. That's the only thing. About yeah, because it, obviously it takes a lot of resources and money to uh, research and then develop these things. Um, yeah. Well, and then California, it's, again, is also is such a unique uh, place to grow wheat because there are yep. so many climates. You know, we have high altitude, low altitude, and deserts, and coastland, and, and so it's an interesting place to develop varieties, I would imagine, of wheat because, you know, you could develop a, a, a wheat just for the Central Valley where, you know, it maybe wouldn't be ideal for a few hundred miles away from us, you know, west, east, north or south, you know. Um, how specific do you guys get when it comes to developing these varieties? Yeah, no, you're totally right. Uh, we actually also, uh, you know, fund a uh, the the what we call the small grains specialist who partners with farm advisors um, and extensions from different parts of you uh, the you you know California. So then he plot he has plots in all those different areas. So as you explain, 
he will have plots down southern in the central valley in sacramento valley and mm. then in the northern tier mm. so and then he he takes notes and what we're trying to find that varieties that are being released that will perform overall um uh, very well in most of the climates we can never get what you say. We can never get one that is like in every single climate, but yes, in most of the climate. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so, so yeah, certain varieties do actually perform great and they sustain the genetics in all those climates. But mm -hmm. I would say the most, the most extreme climate that we see that have to be uh, specific to that will be in Northern side. So it'll be in the Tula Lake, uh, you know, and right in the border with Oregon. Mm -hmm. That would be the most extreme because that you have even a completely different uh, growing season. Well, the growing it, so right. much more water precipitation. Exactly. You know. And it's colder too. So, so our wheat is a spring wheat type, means that, you know, um, you know, genetically it's a spring wheat. However, we grow it during the winter because mm -hmm. we have such a mild winter in general, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But I like what you were talking about, Donguera, because he, um, that's another very good, uh, important comment that, you know, our researcher, Jorge Dukowski from UC Davis says that our varieties are very specific for California. So, and he's developing it for here, for the climate here, for the soil type, for mm -hmm. everything in here. So if you try to take that variety to somewhere else, mm -hmm not going to perform the same and it's just not going to have the same effect that it has here mm -hmm. and the same with you know having it what you just explained having it like it just has a different you know have a different flavor it will just yeah. grow differently it's it's yeah and that's what the diversity um component comes to mm -hmm. in california i uh you kind of going back to the historical context of California wheat. Um, I totally geeked out when I, you know, bought this. Uh, I got some Sonora from a farm, Frog Hollow, in the oh, Frogwood, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. And um, and I've been making some like Sonora style flour tortillas with it. And uh, but you know, you think about it. We're talking about a hundred years history in California with wheat, but it goes back even further than that, doesn't it? With like uh, the Spanish missionaries and, and them transporting, you know, uh, flour and flour or wheat culture, you know, from uh, Spain to Mexico and then up into the Californias. And, and so it's just fascinating to me to like reconnect with that and, and uh, reconnect with all these old varieties, things that you guys are, you know, developing and, and leaning on for, uh, you know, purposes of like developing new varieties for today. And, um, mm -hmm. but yeah, it's such a, a rich culture and, um, and, uh, it's, yeah, again, like I'm, I'm so excited to see like all these artisan bakeries popping up all over uh, the country, but especially in, in California and on the West coast where we can kind of, uh, work together and try to grow the, the, the greater grain economies and, and, uh, yeah, and because like I think in a, another part of it you haven't mentioned, but I imagine this makes a lot of sense is, you know, wheat for the most part, it doesn't take as much uh, water and resources as, as maybe uh, some of the other cash crops here in the valley. And uh, as far as like requiring water, uh, that was one of, I think I'm growing a little patch in my backyard right now. And I looked up kind of like uh, how much water, you know, because I'm not, I was going to see if I could, you know, I don't get any uh, much rain here in the central mm -hmm. valley and so i looked up precipitation in like the midwest um i was i've been reading um grain by grain 
Um, By uh, Bob Quinn, right? Bob Quinn, yeah. Yeah, I read that, yeah. A really, really yeah. good book. I highly recommend that to everybody. But he's, I looked up the precipitation in his uh, state versus California. And there's like, you know, we get 11 inches per year here. And I think he maybe got 12 or something. And so I'm like, all right, well, that should be enough for my winter wheat. And they're thriving in my backyard with just the water that's fallen on them this winter. So, yeah, I definitely, you know, wheat is, it's a Mediterranean, uh, I mean, Mediterranean weather is perfect for wheat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as we know, you know, Russia, Ukraine, um, you know, uh, Turkey, it, it's their major crop there. So it, it, you know, we have varieties that came from there when we do not have varieties here, right? Like the turkey red. <laughs> mm. Um, mm. So, be, and then it, it thrives in weather such as California. So mm. yeah, it's a, it's a low maintenance crop, um, you know, yet, uh, but, you know, our producers still uh, don't see it as being uh, a moneymaker crop, right? So the, the interesting thing, though, that you have producers that they still grow it and they have to grow it because of that rotational system that they have yeah. going on. So what I often say is that my producers, my boar, they're not wheat growers. They are, I mean, not only wheat producers growers. They are tomato growers, cucumber growers. I mean, my producer here in, the, in, in Sacramento, Larry Han, he has seven crops that he grows. And they're all crops that are part of his rotation. Mm-hmm. So wheat is part of that. So when people talk about sustainability and regenerative uh, you know, practices, I say you have the perfect case mm. that California produ- wheat producers are actually regenerative. They're, they're yeah. doing practices to keep their soil healthy already. And that's the only reason why they're growing wheat. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and so I guess the, the biggest uh, hurdle there would be for like the monocrop culture that kind of dominates at least the orchards that I see around me, you know, where it's just one crop, like a, tr- you know, like a, a tree. almond tree. And it's, yeah. and, the, and, you know, and in order to sustain that, they've got to do the spraying and the tilling and the, and uh, so, yeah, you know, and I've always, I've always wondered, and I talked a little bit, um, with Rachel at Frog Hollow about their practices, but like you're saying, it's 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 feasible for a, a farm that has uh, lots of different crops. But um, but the kind of the style, I guess, of uh, you know, because I, I my father has a, a walnut orchard in Patterson, and you know, and so, but during the winter, you know, it's uh, it, it, all the leaves are gone, all of the rows are empty because nothing's growing, you know. And I was just like, why, why can't we, and a lot of orchards do this, they'll grow, you know, uh, ground cover crops yep. down yep. the middle. Yeah. Um, and so I've always wondered if that's a viable option for, uh, maybe you can, maybe not monocropping, but you got two crops, you know, maybe, yeah. uh, you know, like a wheat in the winter time when there's nothing, when there's uh, sunlight hitting the floor. Um, right. And then by the time the, the leaves come back in the, the spring, summertime, you're ready to, to harvest those and. Um, yeah, yeah that's, those are all- that's, that's totally doable. In fact, I'm part of this um, group called Grounded Growth, who um, they have, they want to bring regenerative products to market. And um, farmers are part of that circle. And I have learned tons. 
But, you know, some of these farmers, I think I've heard the story that they have prune orchards up in Washington, if I remember correctly, that they grow clover crops in between the rows, just mm -hmm. such as you explained, because that keeps the moisture down, which reduces the amount of water you have to add. It actually makes the, the more permeable. So when you add it, it's not so compact, the soil. Mm -hmm. And that also... Um, you can, so what he had to do, because they're not machines that harvest in such a small rows, but yeah. he had to make his own equipment that he can actually um, mulch it. And as he, she's, he's mulching it, hmm. the, the, the forage thing, it dumps it into the trees. So again, keeps it cool, moisture down, huh. but also you can find an equipment that, or make his own equipment. Yeah. You can harvest it later on as he, as he dries and gets the weed going. So you have with, if I mean, if you depending how many acres you have, but um, you are seeing more of those kind of practices on the regenerative uh, type of producers that are changing what they're doing. At the end of the day, bottom line is that it reduces his input cost and it helps to maintain his uh, healthy soil and reduce the amount of uh, you know uh, chemicals he has to use. So mm -hmm. it's 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 a whole different con context. I'm talking like I know what I'm talking about, but what mm. I'm just sharing with you what I hear, yeah. which makes yeah, it yeah. fascinating. I think it's just you'd have it have to be something where you, you really have to like convince farmers that it's a, a safe safe alternative, you know, uh, versus just doing what's been done for generations or decades, and it's to become dependable. And you know, I guess like my dad, I know that they do all these soil amendments, and they have these massive trucks come and dump this white fibery, you know, uh, I forget the name of it, but it's, it's like gyps gypsum. Gypsum. Yeah. Gypsum. Yeah. And it's just, and, and you've got to do that every few years to keep the soil, you know, uh, uh, soaking up uh, moisture or retaining moisture There like, you well, go. because there's nothing growing in between these trees. Exactly. Uh, so anyway, uh, lots of lots of interesting conversations to be had. And, and I think it's just hopefully, you know, me, I'm hoping to share this with my uh, sourdough community and um, mm -hmm. online soon. And and uh, I think just uh, continuing the conversations like this is, is part of the process yeah. and, and getting information out there. And, and so uh, I can I can give you a little bit of a background before we end it up. Yeah. Um, so Joaquin Oro, the variety you have there, it has been one of our by far favorite uh, weeds that we have seen in the lab every single year that it has one of the top quality when we talk about bread baking quality. Uh, Joaquin Oro is grown mainly in the region where you are located. Um, it's not grown that much, that much, but it's grown as what I call a savings accounts type of variety, meaning that a handler, an elevator, and a mill might want to have it because it's considered such a high quality that you call it a blending wheat. So if you have a crop that you're bringing from the Midwest or somebody else, somewhere else that doesn't make up the specs that you want for a baker, then mm -hmm. they will blend it with that variety that is the king of the quality to make it work for them, right? Mm -hmm. So it's the most well-balanced wheat quality that we have come across at least in the lab so far. So that's what Kinoro is, a hard red wheat. Um, the flavor you, you tell me, <clears throat> excuse me, but I know Nan also really like it. And she kind of say that had a specific, uh, very nice flavor um, when she had it. Um, and then 
then you have their summit, right? Summit? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So summit is a variety. It's a hot red again. But that variety has been uh, grown in California for many, many years. And it's one of the top growing varieties in California uh, oh. by producers because it's, it's an easy variety. They already know what it's going to perform. Um, so that one, it's, it's a mellow quality protein. I would say that variety is perfect and beautiful for tortillas, for example. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, it will make good bread uh, for sure as the other ones. But I just want to tell you what another context of that variety okay. would be good for. Um, what else you have there? You have... Um, um, I'd have to check, look at my, my phone real fast. I'll get a picture yeah, on my phone. Yeah, I know. I, but, wasn't, uh, I should have had the... Uh, what else? So you have Summit, you have Quokinoro. I already talked to you about Marillo, which please tell me what you think about that yeah. one. Yeah, you have, there's um, the Summit, the Amarillo, the Central Red, the Joaquin Oro, and then there's the UC. Okay, yeah. And yeah. then there's, is it a W WB9229? Oh, okay, that one. So that variety is another that is um, becoming a uh, uh, grown in California more, it performs super well in organic systems. Mm. So it's grown by, you know, um, one of our producers up here is called Ed Sills from Sills Farm or Place and Grow Farms. He has a variety in organic system and that variety, it, it holds very nicely the genetics. So regardless of what kind of management a grower does, that's why it's so good for organic, uh, mm. you know, organic uh, production, it's going to perform super awesome for quality. So it's a, 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 you know, sometimes it leads to be a lower protein content, so like 10%, but it, the quality internal intrinsic factors is going to withhold so much nicely the gluten strength that it's going to be beautiful. Mm. And the flavor is something different. In fact, most of the time that variety, the people that have done whole grain flour, they often say that tastes, or maybe no, I won't tell you because that will create <laughs> bias. No, okay. no, I won't tell you. Maybe I should have, but well, I, I'm curious. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. Real quickly, because we got to wrap it up here. I, yeah. I know you got uh, babies and I got babies to get back to, uh, thanks to, to this COVID uh, working yeah. lifestyle we got. But uh, what's the best way for, would you recommend for me to, to really hone in on the flavors other than just making a, a whole wheat bread, um, which would so, make me, you know, maybe a few, a couple loaves or something? So what we have found at the lab that the best way to get the flavor profile to be more intense is a very lean uh, uh, tortilla recipe. And really? Okay. Yeah, or a flatbread. More than it is to make it into a sourdough bread because we yeah. know that the sourness and all the other bacteria and stuff going on are going to change it. But if you want to have a mild or like a, a lean recipe and something that you can make to test it, pretty easy i would say a tortilla recipe will do it okay uh -huh. the like uh with, with like a lighter fat like not a lard or something that would, would that get in the way of the flavor or um not really. we actually when we make it a little up i've never used lard but i've used uh we just use uh you know like oil or, or that stuff that is okay but canola oil or vegetable yeah. oil or, okay mm -hmm. yeah and right. uh, yeah and just salt and uh you know no chemicals just keep it yeah, I'll, I'll make some tortillas. I was planning on making tortillas tonight, so I'll use I'll use uh, maybe the amarillo or what do you recommend oh, for making tonight? Yeah, the amarillo, do that. Amarillo. Okay. Oh, okay. I I'm so stoked! You yeah. All right, I'm, I'm excited. I got a good recipe, so I'll Perfect. Um, I'll make yeah. It's a, a New York Times recipe I got off uh, online, so 
yeah, okay. I'll, sw I'll switch it out and use the MRL and I'll, I'll let you know what, what, uh, how they come out tonight. So yeah, great. Thank you for bringing, you know, helping us create awareness. I think the more people knows about, uh, what California has, the more people might be willing to jump into, okay, let's make something happen. Yeah. I'm working with the California Green Campaign people. I'm working with UC Davis. We're working on a questionnaire currently that we want to send to growers, millers, bakers, because we want to capture also the demand, the demand of it, and, and then see how, how many people are interested if we develop more mm -hmm. of a local mill, local, you know, grains economy. Mm -hmm. So I will keep you um, informed of those activities. Please do. And, and one last, maybe one last question would be like, what's, you know, other than farmers and, and uh, growers and uh, what, you know, maybe the average person who listens to my podcast would be just like a, a home baker. What's, what's ways that people can get involved or, or learn more about what you guys are doing? Um, so one of the things that I have started to do um, to create awareness is sending samples to people like yourself. So I will be encouraging them to request and say, Hey, Claudia, we, you know, I don't, I don't think we can keep up with like, if I get all of a sudden more than a thousand requests, mm -hmm, yeah. but if people wants to give it a try and, and, and send me an email and say, or to our Instagram, California wheat and say, Hey, Claudia, you know, I listened to your podcast and I would like to, uh, to see if you can send me some greens. I can take, you know, um, a list of people and then start sending them uh, to okay. the people that we can so they can give it a try and then just just talk about it, you know, and share yeah. social media. That's one way. I think eventually what we want, especially with the cottage bakeries and home bakers, is that they join our uh, forces to to say that, you know, they would like to see more uh, California grains into their kitchens. Mm. So we know what the demand is there so we can help our farmers even write the grants or mm. a business plan. So then we have information to when they are trying to do that. We have some growers that are starting to do that, but very little. Um, but that might help. It's like when we ask for information, are you interested? If they can fill out the survey that we'll be sending out eventually, that will help too. Okay. All right. So is the survey online on your website? No, yet. We're Not working yet. Okay. on it. All right. I'll, so I'll, 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 I'll let you it. know. Yeah. I'll get, I'll get yeah. people to, to go to your website and, and keep, keep posted for that uh, survey. So, well, yeah. Hey, Claudia, thank you so much for this uh, impromptu uh, podcast interview. Yeah. And uh, uh, thank you so much again for these samples. And I look forward to sharing, um, eating them tonight and then sharing my results with you and, and uh, uh, the podcast uh, audience on Instagram. So, Again, thank you so much, and thank you thank for what you. You, guys, you guys are doing at the California Wheat Commission. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it, Michael. Take care, okay? Bye. All right. Bye, Claudia. If you feel like you've been inspired by the Sourdough Podcast, please consider supporting it by visiting thesourdoughpodcast.com and clicking on the Donate button in the top right corner. Another way to help the podcast grow is by being sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. Additionally, another easy thing you could do is to take a screenshot. Right now, I even give you permission to pause the podcast. So go ahead and share it on Instagram and be sure to tag me. I love resharing your posts. And of course, it's super helpful in sharing the podcast with others. Until next time, please enjoy this song from Weston Perry entitled Magnolia, originally airing after my interview with Rose Lawrence, February 2nd, 2019. Go to sleep now, baby. More stories another time And when you wake up
Yeah. 